Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me uh, start by saying just like, I really appreciate you getting on here with me, Mike, uh, as a fan and uh, as someone who has been obviously, you know, watching what you've been doing, um, at least since I started, which was um, 2005. So I just wanted to express my gratitude up front. Yeah, well, I appreciate the uh, the invite. I'm glad we can make it happen. Same. Um, and I, I prepped myself just by digging back and actually watching some of the... Uh, the 05 Vanguard stuff and not realizing, you know, when I started and just watching drum core and like watching drum lines, like obviously Vanguard 04 into 05 and then 06, um, I kind of re-realized that that was the year that you shifted over there and all these exercises and kind of the style of the drum line, uh, you know, I kind of recognized it again for, for a second time, like, oh, 06 Vanguard is, is one of your lines. So were you writing? Did you do the, the, just the exercises and the approach? Like what was your relationship with that group specifically? Yeah. And just to, to clarify, I'm not, I'm not sure if you misspoke, but I, I got there in 06. So 06. Um, did I say 05? I apologize. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. I just want to make it clear. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I, I did everything. I did the, the warm up book, lot book and all of the music. Um, I was on the design team. And uh, had an incredible staff, so I, I didn't do it all myself. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, an interesting um, kind of reset for me. Um, stylistically, it was an opportunity to ask myself, how would you do it if the the talent range wasn't so limited? Because I, I was teaching Mission Viejo at the time. Sure, and. Uh, you know, high school kids are high school kids and yeah. you you have to compromise all the things that you want to see in here based on, on the skill set. So um, when I was initially approached, that was one of the questions I asked myself as well. What, how would you do it if skill set wasn't an issue? Um, and that's kind of where it came from. And uh, just a little side note is I had staff members at Mission that were working with me that said, why don't, why don't we just do that here too? And my initial <laughs> reaction was, there's no way. It's too, it's too subtle. It's too nuanced. And um, I don't think we could ever clean it. And uh, the kids are just too young and too, too green, inexperienced. And uh, I wasn't sure if we could even clean Vanguard. 
Some say we didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but um yeah, it was it was kind of a cool thing to do what I always wanted to do and then realizing, oh, you can do that with a high school. You just have to, you know, be smart about it. So mission had a shift mm. that year as well. Um I mean, I've always kind of had the same philosophy, but I always felt like I was creating my own roadblocks as to why I can't do it. And then 06 Vanguard was was really cool on that on that level that I was able to just say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I do and it doesn't matter where I am, I'm going to have the same approach. So I'm not going to dumb it down. So that's really interesting. Uh, basically, you go to Vanguard and you're kind of thinking about how you take what you've been doing at Mission and either evolve it or expand or dig into certain corners of it. But then that experience at Vanguard sort of comes back and, and informs sort of what you're doing at the high school level and maybe opening up some channels, you know, maybe mentally there or just creatively. And that's probably not exactly what you thought was going to happen. But, uh, you know, I think mission is one of those, uh, those programs that, especially for, for indoor, you know, I can't speak to the, the fall program at, at the time that you were there. I'm sure it was, it was rocking, but, uh, the drum line and what you're doing creatively. And, you know, I I'd say with the fundamental, the training seemed like that was such a, a big part of it, um, throughout was just their hands and sort of the nuts and bolts of what they were doing. It required a lot of philosophical discussions on, you know, why, we're doing what we're doing. And I think that's, that may have been the, uh, the time suck, so to speak, is um, having fewer, I mean, when you get really down to it, having fewer hours to perfect what we had, because there was a lot of this sort of indoctrination, if you will, into, well, here's the why. And so we understand you're not just doing what you're told, you know, just following directions, but you actually understand, you know, the mission, so to speak. and. And that, that was uh, a little bit of an uphill battle. We had some vets. Um, we had some great vets that were like, hey, let's, we're all for this. Let's go ahead and do it. We had a little resistance with, you know, you're, you're walking into Vanguard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't pretend that there isn't this, this pedigree, this uh, tradition, um, which we always used to joke about because the name Vanguard and then they're so stuck in tradition. It's like, ah, oh. yeah, huh? <laughs> We're traditionally so, innovative, right? Yeah. That's that thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was tough. I, I can't pretend it was all, you know, I can't talk about it and, you know, romantically. Like it was just this amazing thing. It was like, it was stressful. And we had not just resistance from, uh, from in- internally in, in the percussion, but also outside. Um, within the organization, like admin and, and things like that. Yeah, I'm following you. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the culture of the drum corps isn't necessarily related to or um, congruent with the different teams that come in and out. I mean, I march the Cavaliers. Um, so my team there, I had a bunch of ass kickers, but we had 10 minutes off every 50 minutes in ensemble. So Tim Maynard and the mystique guys, you know, are like, all right, like, let's go, you know, this is what we do. And the core is like, Hey, we don't ever treat the members like that. It doesn't matter where you're at competitively. Uh, it doesn't matter about the pace of how you do things. Like this is what we do. And, uh, it was, you know, there was a little bit of a, of a, uh, 
you know, like I said, an incongruence. I'm, a, I'm not going to say it's negative at all, but uh, it, it was a nice balance. Um, so I, I think I, I know you have a certain um, mindset behind, you know, you, the groups that you sort of cultivate. Um, and I, I absolutely wanted to ask you about, you know, Broken City. Everyone wants to know about Broken City and what the, the magic there is. And I have, you know, we've, we've taught some of the same students. So I have some nice insight from work with them. Um, but, you know, when you look at a group, Broken City is like, for, uh, it's, it's, you know, right here, you and Kevin and the team there. It's like, when you look at that, what's, what are you coming to that with in terms of this is our, this is our nucleus of thought and feeling and, and experience. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's like, I have to figure out which direction I want to come from. There's so many ways to answer that. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I think the easiest way to, to put it is it's not about doing something or having a way of doing something. It's more about what you're not doing. So um, and this is one of the things I, I, I had to uh, face with Vanguard as well is um, I wouldn't call it scarring, but I had these things that happened in my development as a, as, in the marching percussion world where I just questioned everything. And I have haunting memories of like being that guy, like the, the guy who complains and maybe just should yeah. shut up and, and do his part. But I had, I had some serious questions just about why are we doing this? What's the point of this? Like right. stupid things like uh, you're not allowed to wear sunglasses. <laughs> like what? Why? Well, cause you don't wear sunglasses in the show. I don't wear shorts in the show either. Mm. I don't have a drum cover on in the show. So like, arbitrary. Yeah, arbitrary. you can kind of just, I'm, I'm almost acting it out role playing of like my attitude as a, as a yeah. member. And, and so I carried that into, you know, well, when I have a program, I'm not going to do that yeah. stuff that I think is lame. And uh, I think it came from like, why do we stand with our toes completely together when it's really uncomfortable? Why do we care if they're wearing sunglasses? Um we should be comfortable. Why do we do things that are very robotic? And I know it comes from a military background, but why do we do that now? And so all these are all these questions. Like, why, why do the sticks come in? Why do the sticks go out? Why can't mm -hmm. they just be here like drum set? And then you just, you play the part. And then when you're done playing, just relax your hands. So you keep the body in a relaxed state. And I, I, I drew a lot of my inspiration from, from drum set. Um, which is funny because I don't consider myself like a drum set expert or, you know, sure. Phenom, uh, you know, virtuoso. I'm certainly not. However, that was my world. I came from that before I went into marching percussion mm -hmm. and I just had a lot of questions like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? This isn't the way, like, I hate to use this term, but the real musicians do it. They're always concerned with how something sounds yeah, and how something feels. And what if we took the hierarchy of the existing culture and we just move the hierarchy around and then you're changing the, the DNA. And so the outcome is going to be different. It's like you move some, some things around, you're going to get, you know, a platypus or something. Right. And 
Um, one of those things that move to the top of the hierarchy is how does it feel? Or you could say, how does it sound? And what if you didn't care what it looked like? What would battery percussion look like if you didn't care what it looked like? If you only cared what it sounded like and you only cared how it felt, because that's how the regular world does it. So what if we did it that way? Right. Now, of course, it's nearly impossible to clean. <laughs> I have decades of proof. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm well wow. aware that the I'm well aware that the main criticism of the approach is that achievement, 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 you know, vertical alignment. And so I had to I had to kind of fight the battle of um well it's not dirty because we suck. <laughs> it's dirty because what we're doing is difficult to synchronize. Yeah. It might not be difficult to play. And that's the other uh, nuance is that a lot of times things are judged on how difficult they are to play. It's like, well, yeah, sure. It's easy. Can and, you synchronize it? And by this, um, we're talking about technical versus rhythmic um, a technical challenge of something being fast or dense or choppy versus a rhythmic challenge being open, having space, um, being metric, etc. Is that is that kind of where we're? That that's how I feel about that or think about that. I guess. Yeah, I, I was I was just thinking more in terms of uh, if you're overly concerned about vertical alignment, it changes the way you write. Right. And so I didn't want that. Yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted things to sound or not necessarily sound like a specific rhythm or a specific rudiment, but I wanted things to feel, um, as far as like storytelling, I wanted it to feel a certain way. And sometimes, you know, sticks out two clicks on the stick tup, 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 <laughs> into whatever you're going to play. It's yeah. almost like, well, what if that wasn't there? What if it was just, you know, boom, there it is, right? Um, well, now you've opened up a can of worms because how do you clean that? Well, you have to create all these systems and and it's a different process. And I guess my crusade is to hopefully make a dent in the culture of this should be recognized and it should be rewarded when... Um, someone pulls it off and hopefully there's more um, wisdom in the community that can recognize what that is. And I, I'm speaking like way in the past. I feel like now, I mean, things are great. It's, I feel like there's so many flavors. I look out, like you mentioned Mystique, um, Cavaliers um, and all of these different approaches to what those people think the activity is. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So what, what I was an advocate for is, is almost like, this is what going way back is like, let this exist. Yeah. Because if you are overly concerned about um, pure achievement and that's all that matters, you're going to lose something because it will go away because it won't do well competitively and kids will stop trying out. You'll have no one show up at auditions. So you could say, Oh, well, you know, the system shouldn't stop you from doing what you do. It's like, well, it will, 
given enough time, it'll just become unpopular because it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Right. So I feel like that's, that's how I felt in the beginning. Um, and really pushing that narrative of we don't suck. It's just hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard in a different way. So I, I think things are great. Um, especially I, I should say caveat is indoor. I, I think drum corps has a long way to go with the way it's adjudicated and the mm. personnel, the personnel adjudicating um, as a whole. This isn't a, there's no infinitives here. It's, we're ready for you to step in that, that yeah. role, my friend, please, oh. please, <laughs> we could use you. I, if I, I could do a little rabbit hole right now on like, if we, if there's some way that we can get the organization solvent enough to lower the member fees, then I wouldn't have so much guilt mm. mm-hmm. at night. You know what I mean? Cause I, I, yeah. I think like, Oh my God, like these kids are paying $4,000 to do drum corps. Yeah. I paid at the most, like the most I ever paid was $750. And, you know, it's back in late 80s, early 90s. But my God, man, we're putting these kids in debt and they're just getting hit from all angles, like college tuition and yeah. indoor and, and drum corps. It's like, it's really hard for me. I think some things would have to change for me to like jump back in it. Yeah. You know, well, we, we just put uh we put that radar out just now. So someone's going to hear this and we can, we can move this along. Mike will, we'll have a conversation if we can get the dues down. And the, the reality is too, like this is complex because all the instructional staff, 90% of the, the team on the instructional staff probably deserves to be paid more as well. So it's this weird, we're, okay. we're in this bubble situation where it's like, the staff's getting underpaid, like on paper hours, you know, the kids are paying insane amounts. What do we do? So what I am seeing these groups do like crown, we didn't leave. We just did uh, five weeks moved in, you know, a lot of groups are staying local. So my hopes are there is a identity shift happening towards a more regional type of situation like WGI. And those are the reasons why I think WGI is sustainable in a way DCI has not been up to this point. Yeah. it. I, I'm glad to hear that. I really hope that DCI can use this, you know, this unfortunate situation that, you know, with quarantine um, to reboot and rethink, reimagine what it could be so that we can get, the cost down and save our art form. Yeah. That that would be a great thing. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to be too dismal. I think, I think there's people that are, that care about this and I'm glad that we are talking about this. Um, I wanted to make a connection that's for me is really important. Um, and it's between your prioritizing the member experience and the way that you appear to, I make a lot of decisions about how things happen that I don't actually know how they happen. So, of course, all my assumptions could be wrong. But I have drawn inspiration from watching what your groups do and it telling me that I need to let the members express the way they move to me instead of me 
Cause I, I'm a battery choreographer. Uh, you know, I've been in the battery manager, like the technique approach type of role. And, um, you know, I'm the creative director now at Mason. So like a top down role in that way, but we have looked at, or, or for me, and I can definitely speak on, you know, the team there or whatever, but seeing the way you allow the students to be expressive and how that feels like it encapsulates not only a choreographed layer, but also that technical fundamental layer and obviously the expressive layer, like it all works together so perfectly. So I'm, I'm super interested. Like, do you look at the way the members move playing their music and you, you're extracting that or do you have an idea of how you want them to, to move when you're sitting down and writing? And then, you know, obviously attached to all this is like, I feel like what you do with the lower body standpoint um, or whomever, if it's both you, I know you do a lot of the choreo and you probably have people that support you, but the, the, the decisions being made with the lower body are so exact. It's so um, it's not micro or macro. Those aren't the right words, but I think, it's so cultivated. Like these decisions seem like you're like, no, this has to go exactly this way. And like, there's no rules. It's not plie, four starch, inverted, four starch, lunge, uh, chasse, you know, whatever. So like, I know I'm talking about a lot of stuff. You don't have to tend to all of that, but in terms of like how you go about finding that so that the product looks the way it does at the end. Right. Yeah. And yes, I, I do try to choose my words carefully. I do all the staging and all the movement. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm always by myself. Yeah. Like I have um, people there like uh, Vanessa Vendiola and James Gao that um, I actually hate doing movement when I'm all alone. It's like, palms get sweaty uh, <laughs> huh. so much okay. pressure especially when you have kids like from japan and people have lifted up their whole lives and moved to you know southern california it's like i can't waste their time um but but yeah i'm surrounded by awesome people but i do like there's nothing in the show that i haven't touched or or directed um and mostly if they're not playing at all that stuff is typically Vanessa doing that stuff. Um, especially when we have a soloist or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then James is like the best guy to have around for all of the, especially like the math stuff that I'm not good at, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but going back, I, the way you started that, that question, I, I, I'm more inclined to answer it by, by saying that the way they play and the way they move, I truly believe that if that's the sound you're looking for, that's the only way you can get that sound. Like if you played it at attention and in a box where everything is defined by inches, like, you know, Forte is 16 inches and Mezzo Forte is 12 inches. And if you use that system, I believe that that gives you that sound. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not, it's not incorrect. It's just, well, that's because what if you played any other instrument like that? Well, then that's how it would sound. But if you, if you just said, tell the story and then you make sure that each member, like if I, if I look at each person, they're telling the same story. And sometimes, you know, there's hyperbole examples where we say like, okay, this person looks like they're, 
you know, sitting in their study, reading a book, you know, smoking a pipe. And this person looks like they're running from an ax murder. You have a problem. Yes. And that's the story is not aligning, but and this going back to the judging system, outdoor judging system, they would probably wouldn't care if it was clean. And I know that's a pretty hefty thing to say, but I have lots of judges tapes from decades <laughs> that basically state that. Yeah. Um, but so again, creating the hierarchy of what's important to you. I think when you look at all these groups, they're telling you what's important to them. And that's what gives it the flavor and the essence of who they are. And there's so much like nuance and character with, with every group you watch, especially like, let's say just to create a, a box, like the top 15, if you watch the top 15 at finals Saturday night in UD arena, it's like, I feel there's usually 15 extremely distinct flavors. Right. And I think where ours comes from is, is just that it's, it's uh, focusing on like, what is the sound that you want? Well, it needs to be this. So you can't get that sound if you're really worried about inches. And so there is a lot of freedom. Some people hate it. Some people say, man, they're just so sloppy. Or we, we, <laughs> every year we have that one, that one member that is just, you know, crazy. And honestly, I, I have a, it's like a guilty pleasure. I kind of like it. <laughs> and so I, I, I rein it in every now and then. It's like, okay, dude, that's too much. Like, calm down. But it's because that was me. I, I used to get yelled at from my plume. Like, yeah. Jackson, you know, calm down. And I can't help it. You guys put this thing on my head. But I think that's the everything that you're seeing is coming from how do we want it to sound? Or sometimes how do we want it to feel? Right. And so it shapes itself. So it's almost like um, th- there is never a moment where I say, put your elbow here and do do this. It's more like you have to hit the drum like this to get that sound because any other technique won't make that sound. Mm-hmm. So is that, I hope that I answered that. I think it does. I mean, it's just for me, this doesn't feel radical because I've been trying to wrap my head around this for, for years now, you know, but it's this idea that you're going back to, I think is a radical idea, which is why is cleanliness at the top of the hierarchy when we look at something that we all say is art, which I think is a hilarious we, paradox. We don't, we don't. <laughs> I don't want to mention names, but there's people who say it, like unapologetically that it's not art, which is totally uh, fine. Because what that does is that shapes their identity. approach. Yeah. Yeah. So which is totally cool. It's not art, it's math. Well, it's art to me. <laughs> What to the people that don't feel like it's an expressive oh, art form, you know, no, or it's, a, it's a theatrical it's form. It's comp okay. It's comp- yeah, so yeah. it's it's a tick sheet, a it's tick a game. Sheet. I wouldn't straw man it like that, like because I think okay. because the person I'm thinking of is really good at what they do, sure, and produces like great products, and so it's it's a, it's surprising to hear behind the scenes. I don't think this is art because wow, well. 
it looks like art to me, but if that's how you got to where you got to, right, then keep doing it because, you know, I hate to use the word, but there's a market for it, right? Clearly. Sure. So, so yeah, I, w- I wanted to mention one thing. When you said, you said this is, uh, I can't remember the phrase you used. You said it was, uh, I can't remember. What, yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Paraphrase. <laughs> it's, I don't think this is like a radical approach, a radical idea. And I'm not sure if right. you used the word radical. Uh, because I look at, like, look at a ballet. Do you, does it, when you watch a ballet, like, does it look like there's an overseer that told all of those dancers that they have to be exactly the same? Precision mm-hmm. is everything. When I watch a, ba- a, a ballet, I, I don't get the message that precision is everything. I get the message of storytelling and communication. And suspending disbelief that they're even dancers and that's kind of how i think the regular world does it and so what if you had a battery where you could suspend the disbelief that they're playing drums right where you're they're just communicating with you it's a language it's expression it's, a, it's storytelling like how do we get rid of that it's it's like pixelation like if you if you zoom in to some of the approaches you see like a almost like an eight-bit and so how can you be expressive with an eight bit approach? Right. What if everything was just analog lines and dirty arcs and just there's, there's this messiness to it, but in the messiness is where I think you maximize expression because there's, you have so many more options. It's hard to clean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And I, I totally agree. Like the, the critics who say, yeah, but it's dirty. You don't think I know that you don't think it hurts me when it's dirty here. Yeah. You can hear. Yeah. It's, but it's like, how are we going to progress if we don't try it? And now we know, now we know you can't play a, uh, piano crescendo roll into a retard and then spread out visually. <laughs> I think I know what yeah, part you're talking now we, about. Now we know that that gets dirty. <laughs> I think I know what part you're talking about. <laughs> I do. I mean, you're the, you're the, you're the guy for this. So I, I hear you and I I'm, I'm on your, uh, I get, I don't want to say in your wake. Cause that sounds so negative and like crappy, but like, I appreciate all of that. And I fully agree with you, but I would bring it back to like, Oh, this came like within your, within your lifetime marching late eighties battery percussion to 2019 broken city. Like, wow. Like it's the, the rule breaking or I guess the elimination of rules from your process is not, it's not even about breaking the rules. We're competing in the same circuit. We're going back to back with these different groups. Like you said, 15 different identities. It's this fundamental mindset that we are self-imposing rules because of something that we were told, but in reality, it has nothing to do with what we're doing. We are expressive and we're musicians and we are actors and we are all athletes and all these different things. So I, I, I just think that's a, a very useful way to think about this because 
we shouldn't be restricted to rules. Why we already have rules just to compete. Why would we impose more on ourselves? I guess is what I'm thinking. Yeah. The, the thing that, I mean, I for, I forget this a lot. I have to remind myself of this is that it is competition though. So what, what are you quantifying? What does that, the, the judge that we've chosen to oversee our activity at any given event, how are they supposed to navigate all this? And so I, I do get that part. So there's, there's certainly no, um, I think that's okay. Cause I, I think the competitive part is such a interesting, unique marriage of uh, you, you, you said the word athlete and I love that word. And I was like, yes, because these kids are athletes. You know, it's like CrossFit with drums telling a story. What I am seeing, and I wonder what you think about this. You know, I obviously was very much paying attention to your journey with, with Blue Knights as the arranger. But, you know, there is a homogenizing force happening in DCI because they can only go six feet into the, into the field. So now every single percussion moment is front sideline, front mob, 45 to 45, 40 to 40, whatever up there. Um, and that's okay. But it's like, if you don't play that game, you're not read. So now it's all about access of information and not necessarily the quality of information. It's like, I read more of you so I can give you more points basically. And th- that's more DCI that I'm talking about for sure. I, you know, it's funny that you say that because I have never thought that way. Not once have I, I mean, I, I've staged things because I want it to speak well, to be heard, you know, to right. be experienced, but I have never ran it through the filter of where the judges or judgeability or the competitive aspect of things. I think maybe that's a, that's another, another topic, but it, yes, it is a competition. However, the only, sometimes I say this with the staff, like, you know, we'll have like our little powwow and. And I'll say the only time we're trying to win is after we've written and designed everything. So like it's written, it's composed, it's designed, it's staged. Now let's try to win. If you're trying to win while you're writing, um, well, I shouldn't say anything derogatory. I should just say that it's going to look a certain way. (laughs) If that's the look you're going for, well, then you nailed it. But there is no way you can make it look like ABC if you're writing with, you know, XYZ in your head. It won't work. Just like you can't clean something and then you get to finals and it's like, oh, we need to add some dynamics in. <laughs> we need to make it interesting now. We've been clean all year. And then why, why were we clean at the beginning? Well, because you got to come out clean at the beginning. Otherwise, you get, you get, uh, you get boxed in. You get pigeonholed into... They're just going to think you're this quality. Right. And all of that stuff is just garbage for the mind. It's like, get it out. Like, there is no reason why. Like, if DCI, truly, if DCI is such that you have to be clean right out of the gate, otherwise you're written off for the end of the season, their system's broken. It shouldn't be that way. You should have, you should have the ability and the, the, the dynamic uh, ranking and allow for those moments of dark horse or people flip-flopping based on the performance. Do you think that, do you think they do allow for the flip-flopping? No, I think if you went in there with, as a judge, Oh, this is tough. This is tough. I'm speaking in 
as much of a generality as I can. It's, I think if you did something to upset the expectation, you wouldn't be judging the following year. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, wow, how did we get on this? I just went right into it. Um, I want to definitely say that I, I don't know if we need to even go there. <laughs> uh, we can get off this topic. Sure. But like indoor, I, I think is, I love how you just don't know what's going to happen. Because like somebody could crash and burn and have something happen or somebody could be like amazing and completely nail it and you see it and it's the performance of the night. And, you know, Mark Thurston says that all the time. It's like the performance of the night. I would love to see without changing anything at DCI. What if we just adopted that philosophy? Right. It's the performance of the night. Yeah, I want to. I want to speak to the DCI thing. We we went into a rabbit hole, and you know, it's it's no, it's not bashing when it's constructive. I think everything you're saying is a, a constructive thing. You obviously are, you know, have so much heart for the activity. So I don't, I don't hear you, you know, critiquing individuals. But things happen because the layers of years go by. Like we can just talk about natural patterns of of perspective. So an experience that I've had that I don't feel in WGI, I'm, I'm so with you, but I have had is the f- groups that end one, two, three, four should not come out the next year. One, two, three, four in that the first show, that's something where we might say show of the night and we might be operating on show of the night. And I do, I, I got to think that that is something that's being, you know, that's a philosophy outside or, I mean, I hear that constantly show the night, but also what do we do about our instincts and our perception? Because Scott Johnson as a WGI judge, and I'm literally just making him up. I could name anyone, Dan, you know, Mike, whatever, but I've been involved in activity for X amount of years. I know everyone, we all know each other. How do we remove that from, and I, I guess it's not even, we can zoom out, you know, we've talked about judging, but like, how do you remove that from your perspective, the sediment of your experience and your knowledge of the activity. I think that's a positive thing though. Cause like you want, you want the judge to bring all of that experience to the table. And I think um, you just, it's, it's mainly, uh, I, I, I feel like I want to retract some of the things, not necessarily what I said, but what could be um, inferred, I guess. Sure. Because so let me back up, put some band-aids on some of that. I can't remember the last time I watched DCI and thought that the wrong group won. So there is something right that's happening. Like you right. watch it and it's like, Tew. there's no question that is the best thing on the field. Right. So like, I think the macro is fine. It's when you get into the, in, into the, the, the nuances of, of what's happening. I think that might be a problem. I do think there is a, general philosophical lack of defining philosophy um, and communicating that clearly to all involved. I do think there's a dissemination problem. And also we have to look at the, the reality of who would sign up for judging DCI and like you sleep in a car and you like got to drive a hundred miles this way and a hundred miles that way. And right. Like those judges get beat up. And so like, I really appreciate the fact that they love the activity enough to do it. So this, this is not 
judge bashing. It's more like, what are we talking about before the season starts? And what's the philosophy? And how are we, are we just trying to hold on to something? Or are we looking forward and, and allowing for progression? And we don't even need to continue down that. And I just want to make sure that there's no hate. Also, I wanted to, this is important to me. Um, there's a distinction between drum corps and DCI. Drum corps is the art form. DCI is the organization. So I have nothing but love for drum corps, which is why I'm so passionate about my feelings, my opinions. Um, it's just like, you know, there's baseball. I love baseball. Do I love the MLB? Not all the time. Yeah. But those are two different things. It's like, they're not the same. One is an organization and the other one is, is the true art form or the, or the sport itself, the pastime, if you will. So I do think it's important for people to think in those terms of like indoor percussion is not WGI, WGI right. organization, right? So um, depending on what we're talking about, I think those distinctions matter. Absolutely. I, I think your opinion on this stuff is extremely important because who else is going to inform the community of these perspectives? You're someone that we all listen to and we all look to for this kind of, you know, you are a thought leader in this world. So I think it is very important and it's not, uh, it's, it's from a place of love and always wanting to provide a better experience. So that's, that's my interpretation always, because I've heard you speak at the advisory board meetings or whatever. And I think you always have a perspective that's different than what other people are bringing to the table. You know, like we can talk about the words on the sheet, or we can talk about the booth and how much it costs, or we can talk about the whatever. But I think what you have done, and especially with Broken City as, you know, the, the freaking horse is just, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Like, I want to go back to that. Cause I think that's how we got to this judging conversation for the record. Cause you asked how we went down this road, which is just like convention. So why are we being conventional when most of us or a lot of us want it to be at somewhat, even if it's competitive, like you said, and if it has to be, uh, if we do have to rely on a formula because it's process and time based and financially based, so we'd like the consistency, we don't we don't want to get stuck in a place at convention. And I feel like that's just a natural tendency. And you've seen Broken City come out and go, and, and I love this, and you nailed it on the head, is the top five, you know, big boy teams, you look at those teams next to each other, it's basically a different thing. I mean, it's almost like how do you put these next to each other? It's, it's pretty, and that's a positive I'd say. So like, I, I love that about independent world for sure. And I do think that is a takeaway that you all have put forth, whether on purpose or not is ask yourself why you're doing the things you're doing and, and how you're doing them. Because you're, what you've alluded to a bunch of times is your process is going to lead to a product. I think you said something about if you're doing it like this, it's going to, come off like this, you know? So I don't know if you sat down, you're like, I'm going to bust convention or is it just like, this is, this is what comes from you. And I did, I did want to ask you too, like where the inspiration to be unconventional and obviously the content of it. But when did this, when did this start? 
what was the root of you being like, I'm going to kind of go elsewhere? That's because that's what I see personally. I don't think I ever thought that. I just, you reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, a friend of mine that, that does what we do. And he said something that just stuck with me. And he said, Hey, we're just, we're just doing the stuff we like. Like the reason why our shows look the way they look, there's no contrivance. Like we just, we just like that stuff. So when you see what we're doing, you can determine what we like. It's not, yeah. it's not uh, artificial. And it really stuck with me because I had some preconceptions about how that particular group designed things. And then to actually speak to the human being and have that, that quote is it, uh, it affected me. It's like, wow. Like I am constantly like a challenging uh, myself to make sure that the, the message isn't, Hey, things should be this way. The message is let's not create barriers that disallow for different types of thought. And at some point in time, I don't think now, but at some point in time, there was a barrier for this type of thought. And so that was my, my sort of crusade was like, we should get rid of that barrier. The crusade is not, hey, we should win, <laughs> you know, because I hear the tapes. I know we shouldn't have won um, historically. Uh, you know, you can. So what's next? Like what's coming next and what's happening right now? And can I just say too? I wanted to say this at the beginning, but George Mason, like. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. Love it. Um, and so. You know, speaking of breaking sort of the convention and and having your own voice, it's like, isn't it cool that the system allows for that and that it's open? And don't let me go back to outdoor, but not all of the marching arts allows for that, what we have in indoor. Sure. And and I think also there there might be a misconception of like um how hard it is to do what these kids do indoor. Like it's a completely different animal. Um, just look at the intervals. It's counterintuitive to think, Oh, well, we're in a smaller venue. The intervals are 10 times what they are in outdoor. Right. It's like, Oh, well, outdoor is cleaner. What's like, you think <laughs> you're there every day. For I wonder hours. why it's cleaner because you have a 32 count move and you're a foot and a half apart. And then an indoor, you're, you're 10 feet apart and you've got a one and a half count move followed by a two count move followed by a 3.3 count move. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's, and it's not saying one's better. It's like, I love them both. I feel like it's, it's a, it's a version of, um, you know, rotating the crops. Like there's a point where I'm in the middle of indoor and I'm like, I can't wait till outdoor. And then there's a point in the middle of outdoor. Like I can't wait till indoor. <laughs> it's like, I, I need, I need that for balance. I can't just do one. And, uh, yeah. So I think, um, I, I got off track from your original question, but you were talking about, we do what we like. That's where that started. We're doing what we like to do. Yeah. So I, I don't, let me get back to the, the gist of your question is I don't 
think about convention and breaking it. I think honestly, it's like, um, this is a word like we, we used to joke about like when I was at mission with, with Jim, but we call it like the cheeseometer. And so we would view everything through that. Like, mm, that's kind of registering on the cheeseometer. Let's, let's move it the other way. And I think just using that, that, that playful filter, um, creates an identity. And then there's also, I, I have to be honest, like this be, being completely honest, there's fear. There's fear of like when you tell a joke or when you try to be funny, you try to deliver something that's lighthearted. It's the scariest thing in the world if it doesn't hit. And so those groups that do that well, I couldn't do those shows. Like I, like I'm thinking of a couple of shows right now, but like Father Ryan. Oh yeah. Even George Mason to a point, but, but like, um, Pulse and some of the Chino Hills gags that they've done, like the, you know, get back to the chopper, I think was, uh, was Fountain <laughs> Valley. I think Fountain Valley mm-hmm. did that with under John and Ian, but, but some of the way that they deliver that, it's like such an appreciation for that. I wouldn't dare attempt. Um, it's not comedy. It's just, it's levity. It's like a relief. And I think that's what I was afraid of, you know, all those years at, at mission and then moving into, to the independent world. But I think that's where maybe the, it can look like, Oh, I'm just trying to be counterculture. I'm trying to, you know, go against the grain. Right. And it, I think in the beginning it was based out of fear, but then, um, it come, you know, now, of course, it just feels like it's just us. Like if you put us in a room and we make a show, it's not, we don't talk about these things. We don't talk about what can we do? That's like, it's going to throw everybody on the edge. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like, I do have something that I try to filter things through. And that is how can we tell a story and have people forget that they're watching, you know, a drumline. And I hate that word drumline, but Maybe it's the movie. I don't know. But how can we get them to forget that? And some of the, uh, some of the ways is, is like we have this thing where we say like as soon as you take the drums off, you're instantly a bad color guard. And like there, I don't care how good of a percussion section you are. If you take your drum, drums off, you're, you're in the realm of – everything that's come before you. So every dance group, dance, uh, uh, color guard, like whatever. Right. Right. You're in the realm of visual and you don't have that drum on. So there's no excuses now. So one of the things that we do is just like, how can we embrace that and not call it dance? You, you mentioned before that we don't subscribe to like certain vocabulary and, and do those strictly, but it is like, how can we communicate visually through movement without being bad dancers? Right. And that, man, that's the toughest thing in the world. And I think um, who's the, there's a, the, I mean, she's not little anymore, but the, the girl that was doing all of the Sia videos. Um, Maddie's uh, Zeigler. Yeah, Maddie Zeigler. So when I watch her, um, I remember hearing some criticism of, she's not a good dancer. She's not a real dancer. 
And I totally agree. She's a good expressor. She's a good communicator. She's a good storyteller because what she was doing, like if I was viewing it through a dancing lens, I might be able to poke holes in it. I think she was absolutely perfect. And I, I use that example in several staff meetings. It's like, there's something that she's doing that it doesn't matter if she's a good dancer because she tells a story and she communicates and you're instantly on her side. And how can we do that in this environment and not, and not be like a bad color guard? <laughs> Are you looking for a high quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts? That Dan Band Show is brought to you by Lot Riot Apparel. Lot Riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts. And he definitely accomplished that goal. There's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. Lot Riot is currently offering listeners of That Dan Bancho 15% off all purchases on LotRiot.com. Simply go to LotRiot.com and use the code DANBAND, one word, at checkout, and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast who use the code DANBAND will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Bancho pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. I want to put something out there and I, I guarantee this is completely on your radar and I hope I can say this, but I think what you're talking about captures a really special thing and a special uh, part of what makes Broken City different or your work different is I hear a lot of people with the whole like, oh, it's hot. It's super intellectual. Um, it's hard to understand what's going on moment to moment. What does it mean? Like all these kind of questions that don't matter in my opinion, but oh, I didn't follow it. Right. Yet you look at Broken City and the lot. I was just seeing a lot video from 2019. It's the most popular group or one of the most well received, you know, accessible apparently groups, you know? Um, so there's something interesting with that friction that works is there has to be an intellectual layer because that's what you guys like to do. I don't know how imposed, I'm sure it's not, but there is this background to why you do what you do. Um, yet it's coming across and I want to use the Maddie example. It's like people don't respond to just uniformity. There is an authenticity about what the performers do and their own ownership over the program that is ma makes you believe and it makes you grasp onto that. So I think that's a weird, interesting friction. I don't know if you've heard 
about this intellectual thing that's out there because I find that to be odd that people would say that. And then it's like, well, everyone loves the group. So what's up? You know what I mean? I think it uh, stems from what I was talking about earlier about the fear of landing a bad joke or attempting to tell a bad joke is that you, you bury the meaning under layers and layers like this, this strata of meaning that only the people involved um, are in on. And what it does is it, it, it answers the questions as you're in the design mode. It's like, well, where are the snares right now? Well, they have to be over there because this, 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 and that, the five layers of, of meaning. And then, you know, which way are they facing? How are they moving during this? Well, they have to move like this. It's almost like the show writes itself because you've created this, this storyline and these, these, this depth. And it's also a protective layer to never landing a bad joke or to never having, you know, that delivery fall flat. And I'm trying to overanalyze myself right now, but I know that that's what it used to be. It used to be almost like a safe way to ease the insecurity of something not working. And then it kind of flips on its head, especially with broken city. When you have that layer of talent is got to use the word authenticity. I love that, but this is more um, vulnerability. Like you take the best line in the world and you picture like historically you go through the timelines and you can ask the questions and sometimes the answer is no. It's like, was that line ever vulnerable? There's a whole lot of no's. There's more no's than there are yeses. Definitely. And I think that's something that we really want to capture is there's always something completely vulnerable in our shows. And it's, it is the equivalent of standing up in a crowded room and going, okay, I'm going to tell a joke. And then all eyes are on you. And it's like, man, you better land that, you know, cause that's going to be traumatic if you don't. And I think that's where that, that comes from. So is it a la- layer of intellect? I mean, maybe you could define, define it like that, but I, I don't think it's certainly not, Oh, well, well, we're smarter over here. It's like, well, no, this is just what we know how to do. Yeah. It's the only way I know how to do it. And then that group over there does it their way. And I, I mean, I think you could say that someone who has comedic timing is highly intelligent. And so the shows may come off as uh, uh, incorrectly, like assume that they're simple, but like landing a moment of levity Oof. <laughs> that's that's some amazing stuff and it's something i usually steer clear from like that's that's your that's your thing you, you we've talked about yeah we've been talking talked about doing like a straight up comedy show for a while and it's like that is really tough and you know the father ryan show where he just keeps coming out more and more injured like that one for me <laughs> was just like I don't care that you're playing a triplet role. That that's just funny. Like this dude's coming out the cast, the two cast. He's in a wheelchair, full body. He's on fire, like exploding into a million pieces. Like it's that. Just like the again the the hyperbole of that was just like oh like what and 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 there's different ways to do it because I think another great example of that move, but not 
comedy, but may- maybe not even levity, but like, let's say fear was like that Pulse show 2017, uh, the Uninvited show. I was like, are they playing? What was, you know, the music was a soundtrack, but the way they created a theatrical through line that was just like dialed into I'm a snare drummer, you know? So they pulled me away from my lizard brain and put me somewhere else. I was like, that's its own thing, you know? So that's maybe a different example, but does that make sense? How I'm like seeing how that's connected in a way? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I definitely don't want to be misunderstood that I mean like literal, like slapstick comedy. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's that sometimes yeah. it's the three stooges thing, but yeah. Um, but it's, it's the subtle moments that are like, Oh man. Like that's just a, a great moment. So I, I enjoy, I enjoy seeing that. And I think like the challenge, like if we back up into the system again, the challenge is like, let's say, you know, we anoint you to, you are God of system, define it for us. It's uh, it'd be like, well, how can we create a system that would recognize that and reward that? And that doesn't mean say that, that because you did that, you're allowed to play dirty. It's like, you don't get coupons, dirt coupons. That'd be cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You did this well, so you're allowed to scrub Uh, that. Um, But, you know, how can we create a system that that recognizes that rewards that instead of just completely blind to it. And I think WGI has done a pretty amazing job. I have to, give thanks and recognition to Mark Thurston for just spearheading all that. Like he's been, it uh, saddens me sometimes when like my students don't know who he is. So I have to explain. Like, yeah. And, but he is really the passive force. Like he never gets in anybody's business, but he just, you know, here's the buffet. Don't overeat. Yeah. You know, or if you want to overeat, go ahead. But, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's set up a really great system and, uh, I'm thankful for that. Cause I think it, it allows for, it's like, does it change the way we design shows the way you design shows or the way mystique design shows? No, but it allows them, um, if you back up far enough, it allows them to experience the, uh, membership devotion and the the respect and the activity. It's just, it's good that as an activity that we recognize and have respect for groups that are doing things that are just extremely difficult and pulling them off mostly. And I think we do the same thing with diving or ice skating or anything like that. If you watch what they were doing 40 years ago or 50 years ago, um, what we're doing now as a human race is you couldn't even imagine it 50 years ago. Right. And it's quite possible that you could have a gold medalist figure skater with a program that's full of mistakes because it's so damn hard. Whereas I think 50, 60 years ago, um, that's not how it was judged. Like it had to be perfect. And therefore the program was safe, not too vulnerable. I think our ability to value things that are imperfect or require analysis or affect you in a way that can't be 
quantified is really important. I think that's a lot of what you're talking about is just, and, and what came to mind for me is clean is one fragment of what affects you as an audience member. Like I've, I had some shift at some point designing these shows. Cause we were doing like the cadets thing. Like uh, we did, you know, 14, 15, 16, those cadets shows where we were kind of doing our thing and kind of we're going off in a different direction. And then at some point it was like, have we thought about what the audience wants out of this um, at all? You know, and like that became more important to me, not servicing like the judges and the numbers, but giving the students a platform to connect with the audience in a different way. Cause everyone's going to play a clean triplet role. We're going to play some paradiddle, some flams. Like I think there's the amount you can do with the, the drumline thing. It's not limited because the permutations are obviously endless, but there's this whole side of it where it's like that thing you were talking about in, in terms of creating a poignant moment, two isolated left-hand rim shots. It's, it's just, that's not a formulaic thing to do. And it allows you to go, this is us. And that's that emotional transparency that I think comes through just a compositional choice and design choices. We're right here and we're, we're standing up and, and being super vulnerable. And I think when we can find ways to do that in our own different kind of uh, identities and, and approaches, like that's just really cool. It keeps me certainly interested because I, for me, I've always been drawn by like, there's so much sameness out there and not that I like reject why that's happening, but it's like, why, why do we, why do we homogenize? And I'm talking like people like art. We're not talking about drumline, just like, Hey, this works. Okay. Let's all swim in this direction. And I'm always inspired by artists who see, and it's, it's not even like in a head. It's like just obliquely, and I did, I did bring it up before, but I want to ask you more simply than what I'm saying, obviously, is like, where does your inspiration come from as like an artist? <laughs> I, I just had a Norm McDonald moment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Norm McDonald. But, um, yeah. Where, where do you get your ideas from? Um, I, I don't know. It's life. Life. Like. It'll be something. Sometimes it's a sound. Um, it's uh, an aural aesthetic, if you will. Um, and it it just kind of feeds on itself. Sometimes um, I've used this analogy before, um, but it's sort of like a doodle. Like you have a piece of paper and you just start. Usually it's during a advisory board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this piece of paper and you start doodling and then somebody says, what are you making? What's the show about? What's that doodle about? And it's like, I don't know. It's not done yet. And then you get to the end, you fill up this piece of paper and it's, it's got these textures and it's woven inside out. And there might be something that's recognizable and, and, and then someone could say, oh, it's such an intelligent design. And it's like, you could view it that way. And maybe that's the way you view it. And if that brings you joy, then cool. Um, but sometimes it's, it's a doodle and you get done with it. 
and it's aesthetically pleasing and you love it and you like it and you've, you've created meaning, like maybe you get halfway through before you start navigating because of something you've already done. You've already established, oh, you know, over here, I did this kind of left, right circle thing. Maybe that's the motif. Maybe we do left right circle here. Maybe we do left right circle, but it's off, off axis. Maybe we do left right circle slightly bigger, slightly smaller. Or maybe we hide a bunch of left right circles in this little corner over here. And all of a sudden it starts being motific. And then it's at the end of the day, it's like, well, what was your vision? And it's sort of like, well, I don't know the process. Maybe, maybe the process is the vision. And then you sort of um, design through discovery. Now, none of this is in the purest sense because you have a responsibility to your membership. You can't waste the time. You can't be doodling around when you have a, a four-hour block. You have to get something done. So there is some organization. There is some structure. But a lot of the shows are created as we're, as we're doing it. And so it's hard to say where do the ideas come from or where, do the, where does the inspiration come from? Right. I, I guess uh, I, I, I can uh, extrapolate slightly, which is, you know, you and again, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of whatever assumption, whatever, but uh, or my perspective and opinion. But it's like you don't come across as a designer like a drumline designer. I don't look at those shows and go a drumline show. It's something else. So maybe more concretely, it's like, what are you engaging with that? That is feeding you, you know, because I know what I engage with in the world that is like, this is inspiring to me. So like, you can be specific as you want, you know, like, what's that thing where you're like, this is giving me something, you know, does that, am I saying that right? Yeah, I think it, uh, and again, some of this might be a little, you know, hyperbolic, but uh, I, sometimes I joke and I say that I hate drums. Um, and it's a half truth. <laughs> it's a half truth. I think drums are naturally obnoxious. They're annoying. They hurt my ears. So if you think in terms of like, here's an example. I'll just kind of throw this out. But like, let's say we're doing a, a show about, um, I don't know, somebody uh, hang gliding, right? So you could have like, well, let's make, you know, a sample of wind and fluttering. It's like, or what if you wrote a 30 second battery etude that sounded like wind and fluttering? So it pulls you out of drums sounding like drums and drums doing the drum thing. And it puts you in a space of, um, like we could even use something more simple, like, uh, Guitar. All right. We need guitar here. All right. So let's get a sample guitar. Let's have somebody play guitar. Or what if we wrote the battery parts to sound like a guitar? And then that might sound ridiculous, but how would you do that? Would it change the way you approach your composition? And I think most definitely it would. And you wouldn't have gotten there to the end product without that thought process. So trying not to be a snare drum, trying not to be a set of tenors, but instead you're like, what does sadness sound like? Can you write a tenor solo? And your only tool is sadness. Um, 
what do those rhythms sound like? How are they played? What are the dynamics? How, how does it flow from one drum to the next? It's, it, it comes from, I could simplify it. It comes from like, yeah, I just don't like drums. I think they're annoying. So if I can make the battery not sound like drums, I feel like that's a win for me personally. Um, and I could be really happy with that segment. It's like, yes, that's exactly how I want it. And then the next thing is I have to make sure it's being played properly. So it's sort of like, uh, like if you have something that was written 200 years ago, you can't just play the notes on the page. There has to be the conductor at some point that's going to create a vision and an interpretation of the notes on the page. You have to bring it to life. So it's a combination of the vision of the composer of, of the conductor, the the notes on the page are certainly the, the framework, and then the virtuosity and maturity and wisdom of those who are actually playing the notes. So I think that's where all that comes from is that I don't ever want the drums to sound like drums, like ever. That means I, I usually hate it. Like the big fat chord at the end of the show, you know, marching band, and then what's the battery doing? I hate it. It's like, and I have, I have to write it sometimes. I have written it, but sometimes I hate it. It's just like the, the, you mentioned 06 Vanguard. It's that, that whole sarcasm of, um, which is a tool. I love sarcasm. It's my go-to because I can't do comedy or levity. Um, although you could argue maybe sarcasm is a form of levity, but the, that tone to got the end of the opener, that real super syncopated thing is, is like, man, I was just done with the donuts at the end of the score. And I'm not going to write a big fat role because that's what the horn line is doing. Why would I be redundant and write a role? Like I'm going to do something else. And I, that's not like, you know, an original thought, but the sarcasm is original thought. My hatred for that thing that we have to do at the end of every single show and every single opener. It's like, I'm using some strong words, but it's, it's how those books come to be is like, man, I don't like this. Like you mentioned the two left hand thing. Um, I don't think this is a secret anymore, but I remember um, Kevin sent the score of this part and he wrote on the score battery break. And I was just like, I got, I was mad and depressed at the same time. Like, I'm not going to write a battery. I'll show you a battery break. And I just wrote the two left shots and I was like, I'm not writing a battery break. It's my least favorite thing in the world to write battery by itself because I think the battery serves. I mean, again, I'm being a little bit infinitive here. So there's no black and white. There's, it's all gray area, but um, I think that's where it comes from is a lot of these sort of like attitudes and these sarcasm and like, pushing against like, man, I don't want to do that. And I never think I just have to do my job and I have to give the director what he wants, or I have to, um, I have to support the horn line here. Yeah. It's supporting the horn line, but it's not a, a like a, a passive brainless support. It's like big chord, big fat roll. You know, it's like, it's pushing against those things because to me, those things are what drums do. And I don't want to do what drums do. I want to do something else. Like, what's the story? What's the show about? And how can I, how can I uh, make that into a rhythm that can be played by humans 
and not suck, <laughs> you know? Um, I guess that's where, where it comes from. That's, I mean, it's, you speak about it in a very, uh, very clear way. And it's just a, it's a different way to conceive. I mean, period, you know, I think, and I, I've kind of complained about this as a teacher before, but it's like, I don't know any of the rudiments. I don't care about rudiments. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't see a reason to be stuck in that world. Now, maybe as like a child who's being taught, there's these structures and there's these like processes that have, they have purposes and this scaffolding, the language that we use and the, the rhythmic structure and the, the predictable nature of certain passages or things we do with our hands and the way that just it works. Um, but you get to a certain point, whether it's in your evolution as a performer, whether it's your evolution as a teacher or a designer, where it's like, this is all my whole thing's crafted around that. I am crafting my full vision of this around this like one entry point that at this point is either like outdated or it's arbitrary or it was for a different time. And like, that's been so weird. Like, and I'm sure that you probably have experienced this too. And like, I'm, I'm 31. So I'm not, I'm not as tenured in this activity, but it's like the phases that you go through as you learn every year. And I, I don't know if it's the same for you all, but it's like every finals at WJ, it's like, I didn't know like this, 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 this. And if I did, we would have been, it would have been a way different experience. And it's like, and you just get that all at once. It's like getting hit with a, you know, with a bomb. It's like the perspective thing is very odd. So, you know, I, I, I wonder for you, like how, how do I phrase this right? What makes you have the perspectives you do on your own work and on this world? Where do you think this is like all coming from? My head just goes to, I feel safe there. Maybe I could answer this like with a story. I've told this story <laughs> times, but, but I was at, RC, at RCC for a long time. Yeah. Um, from uh, 03 to 13 or 04 to 13. I can't remember. What, what did you do there exactly? Do you mind just clarifying? Because <laughs> I really don't know. I just know you were there. I didn't know a couple of those years. I didn't know either. <laughs> um, I was a design consultant from, I, I don't remember the, I might be getting the year wrong, but it's that the, the show was called the Apple. That was my first year on staff. Um, actually there's a WGI rule because of that show. <laughs> I remember I think it was mystique. So pissed that they had to perform in our Apple scent. Because we had, mm. we were spraying apple scent everywhere as we came on the floor. And then, oh, okay. Mystique <laughs> comes on. They were not happy about that. <laughs> and, they, and, and they were totally justified. It was a great idea, I thought, until I realized, oh, man, yeah, that does suck. It's like they have to perform in our scent. What if their show is about, you know, skunks or something? That Anything but apples. Um, so, so, yeah, you can't have anything aerosolized or, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that was that was my first year there. I was a design consultant. I was at every single design meeting the whole time I was there. So from I think that was 03, 04. And all the way through 13, I was at every design meeting. So that was one of my roles. And then starting in 2011, I was staging. And actually also in 2011, I wrote 
a tiny little bit. Um, that was the bass solo, I think. Yeah. Bass solo. And then 2012, I was staging and I wrote a tiny bit. There's some nines in there. It's my go-to. Um, and then 13, I staged and I didn't write anything in 13. Um, but just, you know, little, little snippets like that. So mm-hmm. the, the bulk of my work with RCC was at the tail end of my, my time there. Um, and I, I have to mention this too, that the most involved I was was 2011. And then I scaled back slightly in 2012 and I had lots of help. And in 2013, I scaled back again and had even more help. Um, but I feel like if I had to pick one show that was like, I had the most involvement in was, was 2011. Um, that's the airplane year. Yeah. Hope dream fly show. Yeah. Um, and so this story and answer to answer your question, I felt intimidated at RCC because everybody's brilliant. Everybody's so good at what they do. And especially when it got to 2011, it's like, Hey, Mike, stage the show. And so I'm, I'm, you know, picking the uniforms, I'm doing the floor design, doing the prop prop design and not literally prop design. There are other people that actually put those things together. Um, but all of these things and having delivery dates and like due dates and, and, uh, sticking to the schedule and, and all of these things, I felt very like unsafe Um, and it was stressful. And it's just, I think it's just my personality and um, is completely compatibility thing had nothing to do with the people there. Awesome people. I love RCC. Um, It was just like, man, this isn't, this isn't right for me. And um. I feel safer when I am in, I hate to use the word controlling everything, but it's, it's like, if I am part of the origin of everything, there's more flexibility. Like I can say, like, there's no machine. Like I can say, I don't feel like staging today. I'm not feeling it. If I stage today, it'll suck. Right. So we're going to work on something else. Mm-hmm. Or I wanted to try something. I'm not even sure if this is going to work, but snares, come over here. Let's just mess around with something. And that's how we get like some of our u- more unique snare solo moments with Broken City is that's not like composed at home. That's like me wasting time with a four hour block with the fear that I have just completely derailed the whole organization. And then at the end of the four hours, like, mostly we come away with something that's like, wow, that's really cool. I like that. And then we just let that snowball into something that could not happen at, 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 it can happen at RCC, but not through my methods. Cause I would, I would put them so far behind schedule, like, (laughs) because it's too coordinated. Like the, the the magic, the magic of RCC, at least when I was there, I can't speak to it now, but, was the coordination of who comes in when and what they're working on 
and the amount of time that they're given. It's like, it was brilliantly set up and I messed it all up. Like my approach messed it all. I was too coloring outside the lines with things like, ah, not really feeling today. I'm not sure what I want out of this. And it doesn't work in that system. And I think that's where, I think that's where it comes from is it's a, it's a safety thing that I have my hands in everything. And then I have the ability and authority and the connection with those that I'm working with that they respect and can be flexible with my kind of emotional approach, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. That's definitely, I, I, one, I always wondered what the relationship with RCC was. Um, and, you know, the coordinated thing you're saying certainly reads through. I think Sean and uh, Jim, it's just some, they got a special connection there. You know, I love the identity of what they do. And like, Sean just has a very like fresh approach to writing. And, you know, I'm March Rhythm X. So, that is very similar on some levels to what you're describing, which is like, yeah, we're going to just kind of throw this against the wall. And I mean, we would literally learn three beats of music and learn three beats of drill, just cold, no preparation. And it works for them. You know, that, that makes you a lot better as a player and as a performer, you get put through a ringer like that. And it's like, then you, like I went and did my first year at X and then I went back to Cavaliers. I was like, this is so easy. I'm just marching dots and playing heights basically. Like it was so, I mean, especially they are so mathematical. So like, I think that process, like there's a lot to be um, gleaned from that. That is so educational and so informative, but it's, the subtext. It's not like we're teaching. This is an educational environment. It's like, Hey, we're trying to put something out there that reflects all of us. You're going to take from it what you will. Yeah. It's this word can be, you know, cheesy at times, but it, it is like holistically creating, like there's some blocks. It's like, it's not a vis block. It's not a music block. It's like, let's try this thing. Like here's a snare lick, if you will. And then here's, what I'm picturing is happening behind it. So if I determine that that can't be done or it can't be reliable and repeatable, then everything changes. It's not like, Oh, we just need to change the drill or we just need to change the lick. It's like, no, the whole thing's out. Like we got it. There's so like connected, like there's a, like that snare part cannot happen without that movement. And that movement would be stupid without that snare. lick. Mm -hmm. So I was not uh, formed enough with um, the way I could communicate with others to redefine how a group like RCC should approach things. And it would change their DNA. Mm -hmm. And like, I was in a position where I was like, who am I to do that? I'm not going to do that. So I, that's when I, when I left and I left on, you know, like I left loving that organization. Yeah. And sort of the same thing. I, it's almost a parallel story with blue coats. Like, um, I needed blue coats after Santa Clara. Like I needed to do that. And they like healed me being part of that organization. And I left out of love. Um, because by the time I was done healing, so to speak, the blue coats don't need two Tom Rericks. They already have one. Yep. And so I needed to leave. And right. It's almost the same story. It's the same thing. 
Although the difference is, um, I knew my role and I, I sort of stayed in my lane at Bluecoats. I had an accurate expectation of what my job was, where at RCC, it was more like my role could have been anything had I been good at it and confident enough to do it, to implement it. And I got scared. <laughs> that's just the truth. You know, I don't blame you. I mean, that's, that's one of those, it's one of those bedrock groups between them and uh, Mystique and Blue Knights, I'd say. Um, historically, that's, that's such a, there's so much history there with what they've done. So I can see, you know, am I supposed to keep this, the same identity and the familiarity? Um, should I branch off and do something like that's a really nuanced thing to navigate. So I totally understand what you're saying. And I, my perspective, you know, cause I was marching when you were at the blue coats, that fit was amazing. I mean, you know, I think Tom Rarick and you seem to have, a lot of overlap in your tastes as writers. Uh, and again, this is my opinion, this is my perspective, but um, the style and the approach and the sound and, you know, his writing and the exercise packet, like that, that did seem to click great. Um, and that gelled super I, well. I want to, I definitely want to mention like a, a shout out to, to Tom is that the thing that made that work um, it's really apparent to me that you can see a difference between 09 and, and 10, 10, yeah. 11, 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, man, it's like, you know, you're getting old and you can't remember years. But uh, Tom was, I'm going to paraphrase the conversation that we had. But after 09, I was unhappy with my uh, performance. Even though like we did well competitively, it was cool. I, I looked at 09 like I did not reach my potential. I can do this way better. And I had, you know, maybe not one talk with Tom, but it was many talks over building up for 2010. Um, and if I could put all those into one imaginary conversation, it was basically like, like me asking permission. Like, Tom, can I take your book and then sort of do what I want with it? and make it feel like I wrote it? And his answer was yes. And again, this wasn't an actual conversation. It's the gist of many conversations. Yeah. And the thing that was so awesome about Tom is that there's no ego, like zero ego. And he was like, once it's off my, my desk, it's yours. You do it. You need to do it with it. And so I was, I would go through it and like change stickings I changed some dynamics to help how I wanted to express a moment. So like, for instance, if something was written from like mezzo forte to fortissimo, I would do like pianissimo to forte, stuff like that. And I would define it as such. So I, I, sure. wouldn't, I wouldn't ever say whatever's on the page is gospel. It's more like, okay, I think I get what this is supposed to be. And then obviously what we all do is you base dynamics off staging like where are they when they play this this might not work because they're on the back hash right um so things like that and then like watering i would always clear things with him like i'd send him waters and like what do you think about this or i'd, I'd express to him there's there's a problem like um we can't play this or they're on the back hash when they play this do we want to rewrite this um but tom just so laid back so ego free 
and he let he let me shape it as if I wrote it starting in 2010. And honestly, he would have let me in 2009, but I was too much of a wuss to ask. Um, so that's that that was that failure part um, that I imposed on myself is that I was a wuss in 2009. I did the minimum and I didn't like the way that felt at the end of the year. So yeah, interesting story. I can't remember where, how that started, but <laughs> it's, it does not matter. But I'll, I'll say, uh, man, 12 blue coats, just, I don't even know. I don't know what the current students sort of pay attention to or what they watch, but 2012 blue coats, like I'll, I'm a percussion per- or a battery person. So I'll speak to that. Like, I think that's definitely one of, if not the best year they ever had. Um, from a battery perspective. So I, I think that. you're, I, yeah. I learned a lot from that line and had like things that I incorporate in my teaching now. Um, I learned from that line. And one of them is, is like this. I remember having this talk with the staff. It's, it's this analogy of if you're a director and you're directing, you know, Robert De Niro and he's not getting it. Do you think he should just keep going or do you think maybe he should have a break? Right. Like maybe just send him, send him to his, his, uh, his trailer, let him work it out. Or you know what? We'll get the, we'll get the shot tomorrow. And working with talent at that level that we had in 2012, it was almost like a shock to some of the staff. Mm. It's like, oh, they're just, they're not getting this. They're not getting this. I'm like, do you think they're crappy drummers? Send them to lunch early. Give them a two-hour lunch. And so we just started approaching things like that. Like, hey, they're not getting this. Well, they'll get it. Like, let them go play Frisbee. And they'll come back and we'll get it. And then there were some times where uh, <laughs> there's exercise we played that was ex- extremely difficult mentally. And it was kind of near the beginning of the block. And I said, hey, if you guys, like we were warming up, we were tracking something. And, and I said, hey, if you guys nail this, get the rest of the block off. And they nailed it. And I was like, all right, see you later. So you had this situation of, of, of um, like, we're not just going to fill the time to fill the time. I'm not going to give them busy work. And I'm certainly not going to beat them over the head for something that they're failing at when they've nailed it the whole season. Because you're just going to do damage. And you're going to get more out of players at that level if you just give them a break. Right. Well, Mike, we've uh, kept you on for about two hours now. I could I could honestly pick your brain all day, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. So let me thank you for jumping on here and just inspiring me personally. And I'm sure people listening are going to be inspired as well. And your insight and just your, your wisdom around what we do is um, it's just it's different and it's outside the box. And I have always appreciated that about you. So I just again, wanted to reiterate my, my gratitude and thank you for just doing the things you've done in the activity to inspire the rest of us. And, uh, thank you. Thanks for the invite. And I, I want to say that I love, I am a huge fan of, of crown and George Mason. I, I think both programs are amazing. So thank you for putting that work in as well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.